Welcome to the My Personal Football Coach Youth Soccer Player Development Podcast, episode 43 with Andy Clawson. Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, welcome back to another show. Um, got lots of new shows up and coming, thick and fast, so make sure you stay tuned. Like I said, uh, summer is a really hectic period for me in terms of coaching, uh, working with a lot of pro players from around the world. Uh, so now it's good to get back into the regular season and get back into getting some quality co- podcasts coming for you guys. So I'm really looking forward to it and I've uh, got some great ones coming up. Just want to say um, a big uh, welcome to uh, Fayetteville Manalis and BRYC Elite Academy, two new um, partner clubs with My Personal Football Coach, uh, taking advantage of uh, the My Personal Football Coach app for all their players and the coaches pass uh, for the coaches and all the the uh, benefits that come from that. So great to have another two clubs aboard, uh, on board. So if you're interested in the My Personal Football Coach club partnership, how you can take your club to the next level, uh, just drop me a line. Also, um, I want to say a big welcome to the Football Coaches uh, Football Coaches Australia. Football Coaches Australia is a, a coaching uh, organisation, a coaching association down in Australia. Um, a big association that's uh, really growing, and uh, they're going to be utilising utilising the coaches pass uh, for all of their members. Uh, they've just come on board. Uh, if you don't know, we've also got the coaches pass at my personal football coach. So the coaches pass is. Um, an online library of hundreds of videos, not only skills and drills, but also uh, team sessions and video team sessions. So uh, proud to say the only place you're gonna get live recorded uh, videoed sessions of pro coaches from all around the world doing sessions uh, emailed to you week by week. So uh, the Football Coaches Australia have come aboard as a, as a club, uh, as a partner association rather for their coaches. So we're now doing partnerships with, with uh, clubs and associations who are just interested in using the uh, coaches pass to support um, coach development. So really excited about that. Uh, so if you're interested in how you can take your club or association to the next level, if you just want to work with the coaches and just the coaches pass, drop me a line uh, to, to get in that. It, it, I'm really proud how the coaches pass has come along actually. It started off as just a, a library of just the skills and, and uh, uh, the ball mastery exercise 1v1 and, and simple techniques, how to how to volley and stuff like that. And now we built it uh, into something much, much, much uh, greater and a real depth of quality in terms of the session. So for instance, the last few weeks we've had sessions from Romeo Jozak, the Q80 uh, manager and also previous head of academy at Dynamo Zagreb and head of Croatian Football Federation. Uh, we've had uh, heads of coaching from clubs such as Wolves, uh, Cambridge United. Uh, we've got uh, some coaches from AFC Wimbledon and we've got lots of exciting uh, shoots lined up. So if you want to check it out, listen, there's a seven day money back guarantee. So you might as well go and check it out. Like I said, the only place you're going to get actual videoed sessions uh, week by week. So really proud how that's going. And listen, remember, if you're a fan of the show and you really do like it, please do leave a review. It, it really does help. It really, really does benefit and, and, and go a long way. And finally, remember, if you're interested in ball mastery and 1v1 as well, you know, as you know, it's really important to me and, and you know, the secret of the best academies in the world, check out the My Personal Football Coach Level 1 uh, Elite Ball Mastery 1v1, a small-sided game. So uh, another online, a very unique course online available on the app as well 
we can enhance your knowledge about ball mastery and 1v1 and small-sided games, uh, the real key, key pillars of technical development uh, in, in elite player development and grassroots development as well. Uh, but anyway, I on to the show. Really excited this week because uh, managed to get my uh, good friend of mine, someone I've known for several years. It's Andy Clawson, who's a director of coaching at FC Bangkok. Uh, really interesting story, interesting journey. Uh, worked at clubs such as Hearts. Uh, worked at Man United within the the uh, the uh, the international academy there, and also then uh, went out to Bangkok, to Asia, and has created his own uh, full time uh, job, his own club there. So as we know, look. You know, we've all been there, we've all aspired to work full-time in football, whether you want to go and work for a club or you start your own football business. And Andy's very lucky. He's created a, a great uh, football business in Asia. So he's combining his love of traveling and coaching. And, you know, I've, I'm lucky enough to work with Andy. They're a partner club as well. Uh, but it's really inspiring to see someone who's so dedicated to his craft and also developing a club which has a, has a real world-class uh, feel to it in terms of environment, in terms of what he's trying to create, in terms of the standards, and it's really impressive to see the results he's getting with the players there in, in Thailand. So I know you're going to enjoy this one. He's got lots of knowledge to share. Uh, so without further ado, let's get into the show. So Andy Clawson, welcome to the show. Hey mate, thanks for having me. Can you just give us a brief uh, description of your playing and coaching background up to this point? Uh, yeah, I grew up in uh, Belfast, so uh, our options were limited. Obviously, it's still semi-professional there, so we've just played for semi-pro clubs. But I was never a player. Let's be honest. I was just I knew that pretty early on. So, got into coaching as quick as I could. Went across the water to Scotland University, and was lucky enough to get into Hearts. I was the youngest coach to to be accepted there. So I was just everything and anything. Could I do a bit of uh, the nines? Could I do a bit of the seventeens? Anything on offer, I just did it. Worked for free for about two years, just learning. Just had a pencil and paper out, just learning. And then uh, they brought me on in my final year of uni, just working with the under-13s as, uh, as the academy coach. So great learning experience. Um, but once university finished, I thought, right, bigger picture here. Let's, uh, let's see what's happening. There's not really a full-time job in this. So I went over to the States, did the, uh, the soccer coaching, the summer soccer coaching, which was great. Uh, again, but realized that there's too many, uh, too many coaches in the States. I was just a bit too late. Uh, back to the UK, worked for uh, Manchester United for a bit. Uh, excellent, some top, top coaches in there. Still in contact with them. And then I had to make a decision. Um, I was offered a job full time with the Irish Football Association. Uh, and at the same time, I was offered a job here in Bangkok. So I uh, took the gamble the gamble and uh, come out here just to see what it's like and I've been here ever since. So how long have you been years, in Bangkok now? Seven, seven years. years now, just so, over. So let's just go back to that first experience at Hearts. What was that like uh, in the academy there? What were your first impressions? Well yeah, growing up in Belfast we knew quite a lot of the Scottish uh, Premier League. So Hearts were a well-known name and it was the way their academy works it's linked with the university. Um, they share funding. So they share the fields, they share the academy space with, uh, with the university, so that was a, a good in. But you know, it was just, it was just perfect for me, as a, uh, from a semi-pro background only, to walk into that professional background. You know, the coaches were really, really on point. Um, and as a learning experience, it was just good for me to see peers, you know, people who I admired, who, are, who were really passionate about coaching. 
Uh, they worked a lot of the development clubs, boys clubs, but they had a great contract with, with Hearts working with their 9s, 10s and 11s. So every week I went in with their director, Joe, um, assisted him as he worked with the junior academy. And about six months down the line, Joe couldn't do a few sessions, so I stepped in as the head coach of that. Got to know a few of the, the head coaches for the 9s, 10s, 11s at Hearts. On a talking basis with them, I was then introduced to John Murray, who was the academy director at that time. He's also from Northern Ireland, so with that you know, cohesion of, of coming with the same background. Um, he asked me, I've got a coach sick one day, would you mind covering? And I jumped at it. You know, so any opportunity, John had my number and was just giving me a call. You know, the 17's coach is sick, 15's coach is sick, 13's coach, 12's, whatever it was, I would go up there. I was never leading sessions. I was just there because they had an obligation to have two, three coaches per team. So that was my in. It was Coerver. And as I said, once after a year or so, just doing all these volunteer positions whenever it was needed, um, John just called me in the office and says, look, mate, we've got an under-13s role if you're looking for it. I says, absolutely, what do you need? So it was brilliant, you know, getting to do the games, Celtic Rangers, you know, all teams that I knew growing up. It was, it was a brilliant experience. And uh, to see that sort of standard, um, I know Scotland potentially is, even today, still quite some bit away from the EPL, but it was a hell of a lot more than what uh, the Irish League offered. So for me, the standard was excellent. What's, what's, what are your first impressions of academy football there compared to the other environments you've been in, into? I was on, it was the, I'm not going to say it was the, the structure of the club because the hearts were, they weren't loaded though they didn't have loads of money you know so a lot of these coaches were earning expenses you know so they were doing it through pure passion the facilities they were good but they're nothing on what you would see in England now uh, with these top top uh, tier one clubs but the players were outstanding you know Hearts have been renowned for being player producers and they end up selling their players to Rangers Celtic but at the younger age groups the technical level of them the speed of play um, was it was it was a bit daunting for me to be honest. Uh, it took me a while to get used to it because I knew myself as a player wasn't even at these kids' levels. So I had to adapt my own learning experiences and just try and keep my sessions to their standards rather than the sessions that I was potentially playing as a kid. Mm. Um, so again, it was the technical level without doubt, the coaches' passions. Uh, I'm not going to say the equipment at the facilities because sometimes we'd have three teams on one pitch, which I'm sure it must have been very, very difficult for under 15s coaches trying to do phases of play. But for me, at under 13, I was just basically getting the technical reps. You know, the, the other coaches came in and, and did the phases and whatever systems they wanted. Uh, I know they were structured to a 4-4-2 back then, which some of the coaches weren't too happy with. Mm. But the academy manager said, we're playing 4-4-2. So for me, I just focused purely on technique. That's all I was asked to do. I wasn't asked for any input on regards to uh, formation, style of play, because that was all coming from the top boys in the, in the office. So it was a perfect, perfect role for me. Just do the technique, get the boys working at a higher level. So then what, what did that look like then, that, that technical stuff you're talking about? Well, as I said, coming from Coerver, that's what I replicated. You know, so lots of reputation based, lots of 1v1. Um, we did a lot of ball mastery and a lot of uh, unopposed things. Um, so it sounds really basic now, but to be honest with you, when you watched other age groups, all they were doing was popping it, you know, which was of course essential. But 
in my opinion, the boys just weren't having enough of the ball on their own. Now, you could argue that you know these are academy players that they've already got all this uh, bred into them. They've already got ball mastery. They've already got one v one techniques. But to be honest with you, I thought it was it was lacking in the in the academy. Um, they focused heavily on just how quickly they can move that ball, which again, uh, it's opinion. So and it works, but I think I got a lot of credit for getting the ball out, making sure the boys were doing 1v1s, making sure the boys were learning more techniques, different techniques. But I have to give Corver a lot of the credit because I basically stole a lot of their stuff. Yeah. But you got to learn somewhere. And then from that Corver base, I started exploring different, uh, different 1v1s, different small-sided game scenarios that would focus heavily just on different techniques. And even still to this day, despite being you know, a license and working up with older players, my sessions are still based heavily around that technical aspect with one player, one ball. So give us a, an example, what would like an under 13 session at Hearts look like at that time? Uh, we would go, there would obviously be about 22, the, the goalkeepers would go. Um, at that stage, we would have a, maybe a quarter of a pitch and the, the older 15s or the 14s would be on the other sides. So basic dynamic warm up, the university would have been on before us. So there wasn't even an opportunity for the coaches to set down cones. You know, so again, we're talking about professional standards here, but the coaches were so limited in what they could do. It's like, all right, there you go, lads, it's five o'clock, but you've got one minute to set up. So for me, I had to keep the lads occupied, whether that was doing a dynamic warm up, whether it was doing arrival activities, just to keep them uh, ready as the head coach or the other head coaches set up their, their phases or whatever they wanted to do for that session. So I'd work with them for about 15 minutes. Again, a lot of ball mastery based, keep them warm. It was freezing up there. And then the coach would take over a lot of passing drills, a lot of close passing drills, um, which was done at speed, which was done with quality, which was done with their weaker foot as well. But it was close passing, small set of game, game. You know, that was it. Uh, week in, week out, that was it. They used the same passing drills a lot, um, but it was 99% focused on coaching in the game. And obviously at U13, they've just started their 11 aside. So the coaching in the game aspect was massive. And so what was it like being a rookie coach in that environment, the academy environment, your first year as a coach? And then what was that like personally and in terms of like relating with other coaches, maybe trying to you know, yeah. get your presence felt in the academies? It know? was tough because I was the youngest and I wasn't even from Scotland and I didn't support Hearts, which 99% of the lads are all from Edinburgh and they're all Hearts mad. You know, so it, that's what their passion was as well. So for a young lad coming in, it was challenging because some of the coaches were ex-Hearts players. And as I said, sometimes I would have to take down their 15s. Sometimes I took the 17s. And you would get parents like, who is this? Why is he near the kids? What's, what, this isn't good enough. You know, we, we want to see our ex-hero working with our boys. And I totally understand that, of course. You know, I was 20 years old, uh, 19, 20, sorry, uh, by the time I got that. So again, it was, it was, it was a bit scary, but you know, John and the other coaches were more than welcome and more than supporting. And well, I knew what I had to do. You know, I was there to do the technical side. And in regards to the technical coaching, I was very confident with it. Um, I have to give credit again to the Coerver coaching. I was doing full-time Coerver in the daytime. And then I would go and do, obviously, hearts from five o'clock. So I had a ball at my feet and I was working with kids every day of the week. So, so all the stuff that COVID be in schools and stuff in the day, would it? They did two different things. They did the development programmes, which you would go to schools, 
you know, that would be basic stuff. And then they did their excellence program, their master class, as they used to call it, where they would select the best kids who would normally be at Hearts or Hibs or other yeah. high performance boys clubs and have a, a good selection of about nine, ten boys in a group. And you would just work with those boys. It would just be additional training for those lads, but they were hungry and they were good. So we, those sessions were really enjoyable. They were, they were basically academy sessions themselves. But that was, that was great buzz with those lads. I know Joe's still there. Um, football mad and that's that's what it takes you know because there's no money in it mm. you know there, there's no money in uh, in professional football coaching back home unless you've got the dream ticket in, in in top top jobs first team level you know even academy boys still aren't getting anything that's worth mm. that's worth talking about so if you didn't have that passion which they had then you're wasting your time okay so let's move on then just briefly a bit about your time in America obviously I, I also spent a couple of years out there. It was really powerful in terms of yeah. my development. Just tell us about your experiences out there and how important that was for you as a coach. Well, yeah, that linked in with the Hearts because obviously at university, I recognised quickly, I'm not going to make a career out of this Hearts. You know, you're getting expenses and you'll, you'll maybe move into a little bit. So I thought, right, let's broaden the horizons. And it was the, the MLS, the Major League Soccer camps, was back then days. Um, so we went over there, California, and, and you're just thrown in the deep end. You know, you've got your, your level two, English level two. I've done my, my Scottish badges as well. Um, but it's babysitting. But what you're learning is structuring sessions, you know, team cohesion. You're working with coaches from all over the UK, sometimes around the world. And it was, it was hard, hard work. You know, you're doing six hours to nine hours per day. You're traveling all over the US. Some of the kids couldn't kick a ball. Some of the kids were not too bad, but you've got a mix of them both in the same group. Parents were brilliant you know it was it was all before the uh the crash i went and then uh, i went back a year later and everybody was bankrupt it was unbelievable but for for the experience on the pitch it was it was great to see the grassroots program over there it's it's a different level and so the talk, you talk, mentioned it there i mean having those different abilities in one group mm -hmm. i mean firstly how do you deal with that as a coach and secondly how important are all those experiences in terms of you've worked with elite players and you're working with beginners as well? That's why you've got to do the, the small groups, players with ones, players twos, players and threes. You know, a lot of these, like for example, if I took a heart session and tried to replicate it over in America, we were doing eight players, ten players in a passing drill. No chance. Absolutely no chance. Whereas if you break it away and you put players in twos, players in ones, you know, it doesn't matter what you do in that session, they're going to walk away with something. They're going to walk away with thousands of touches of the ball. And then a good enough coach is going to quickly see what kids should be paired up with other kids and what players sh should potentially be moved to be a little bit easier or more advanced sessions. So you've got to tailor your session to have progressions that are very, very advanced for the top players, but manageable for the, for the beginners. Um, I like to have my sessions running at a high level. I tailor the sessions for the most advanced so that they're... The, the, the older ones, or they're not even the older ones, but the more advanced ones aren't having to dumb down what they're doing. And for the beginners, it gives them a target, right, I want to get to that. And yeah, I'll try and tailor it that they get easier, easier methods, but I would still try and push them to try and get that sort of, right, this is the session we're after. These lads are doing it, can we get there? Mm. And you're only working with these lads for a week, but you can see some drastic differences, you know, six hours a day with a ball at your feet most of the time. Mm. So. That, it was all about improvement and fun. You know, you weren't going to make professional footballs out of that. Um, it was, it was just get them out, get them playing. They're all on summer break. Um, 
it wasn't a holiday, I'll tell you that. You were working, you earned every penny and there wasn't a lot of it. So for me, it was, it's very worthwhile and I would advise it to anyone. You know, you get to see some culture, you get to see some, some different aspects, you get to see some coaches from all over the, certainly the UK, it's mostly the UK, but I know a lot of them hire from around the world. So you get to see different methods different working styles. I suppose as well, you, you're coaching six hours a day, five days a week, or you just that's get a better. lot of hours on the grass, right? You just get better, that's it. If you're on the grass, you're getting better, if you do it right, Yeah. if you do it right. I mean, a lot of people are on the grass and they shouldn't be, but if you've got passion for it, you're on the grass, you're putting those hours in, and uh, you should be getting better. You should be walking away after a program of three, four, five months, a better coach, simple as that. And you can, as I said, progress very quickly over there there's opportunities um the grassroots system is outstanding it's probably the best in the world if you ask me um because they pay their coaches mm. you know they respect the coaches for the hours that they put in the education they put in um and it gets it, it gets replicated then on the grass so definitely definitely worthwhile i just recognize that there's just too many coaches over there visas were common difficult very very difficult i did it three years in a row um but it was just becoming more and more of a challenge to, to get consistent work, especially in the winter. You know, the, they also compete with other sports. Um, soccer's big, but it's definitely not their number one. And the travel, you're, you're always in the car. You're never out of the car. It's, 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 the summer camps are really exhausting, aren't they? You're done. You, you, yeah. you, you, by after about four or five weeks, you're running on fumes. And it's, it's not fair for the kids who have just seen you because they've just seen you for the first time, but they don't know you've been working five five weeks previous, yeah. and you're a little bit drained, and you know you're not getting the money, so it is demotivating, because um, you're only on a summer camp pro program, whereas if you do an academy program, or you do like a club program, you get yeah. paid well. You know, I found it was really, really um, important part of my development, it was my, in terms of my personality, in terms of how you're delivering over there, and the American camps, a lot more based around fun, and obviously trying to get technical outcomes, but obviously, it's a lot about personality as well and captivating the young kids and I, I felt really I was you know I was quite a, I was quite a uh, shy inward person but I came back from America completely you know able to project my personality yeah you're and, spot on there and how I mean how, how important is that with with young players yeah absolutely um, I just have to echo that I mean I would be the exact same bit of an introvert you know you don't really know you almost felt you shouldn't be there uh, when the first year I went, you know, because some of the lads are so extroverted, they're brilliant, they're, they're yeah. just excellent people, uh, people people, you know, they, they just love chatting, they're full of energy all the time. You wouldn't know they had been working for six weeks uh, mm -hmm. and credit to them. Um, but you learn from that, you, you take little bits, you're like, look at that, you know, look at the energy he's bringing to this. He may not be a brilliant coach, yeah. but the energy that he's bringing, the kids love it, absolutely love it. And you know, even if you are working at an academy at the top level, if the kids aren't enjoying it, then you're fighting a, a losing battle. I think you use a good word there, energy. I think that's really pivotal. Whether that's, and that's, I think that was one of my major takeaways from working in America was bringing that energy and, and buzz to the sessions. And people have described that when I was working at academy, oh, yeah, your session is really buzzy and like mm. high energy, high octane. And I, really, I think it's really important to, like you said, captivate those kids and whatever level you're working at, being able to really know yeah. that's going to get the right outcomes, right? Yeah, the positive reinforcement as well. I mean, these kids, they don't want to be, they're, they're there for, for fun. Let's, let's be honest, they're there for fun. They don't want to hear about uh, even constructive criticism. They just want to hear praise, yeah. lots and lots of praise. So, so the coaches that were hitting with that, loads of praise sessions, loads of energy, 
you know, they were successful and uh, they were the ones that were getting more work. They were the ones that were getting asked uh, year after year to come back and they were asked to lead camps purely, as you said, just down to the energy and their, their, their personality. So I, I, absolutely, I've got a few guys there still in my mind who, who taught me a lot. Mm. Um, still to this day, I remember the guys at Hearts for their technical coaching and still to this day, the boys in America just because of their personalities and what yeah. they brought to the, to, the, to the players, but also the coaches that they were working with. They were leaders, yeah. you know, they may not be even in football these days, mm. but they'll probably be in charge of a small team or a big team in their careers. Tim Bradbury's, who has been on the show and someone I've talked about quite a lot, who's my coach educator in America, used to say, you know, you have to get a personality. If you haven't got one, make one up or, you know, take mm. some someone else's. I think that's really important to, because that's when I see coaches often who maybe aren't as effective, they just don't bring any personality to yeah. the session. It's not just about the technical content, especially working with young players, it's about bringing an energy and a personality and captivating those, those players. Yeah, um, it, 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 took, it took a while for me to work out what type of coach I am. I mean, obviously everybody you know, copies and pastes uh, while they're learning and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, they're, they're taking sessions that they like and they, they try to repeat them to see if they can do them. Um, and it's the same as you say for the personality you, you potentially be copying pasting other people's personalities but then you realize it's not this isn't really me mm. and, and kids can recognize you're being false mm. so it, it could take a while for you to realize that you, know, you don't have to carbon copy someone else but just take little bits just take little bits cherry pick exactly what you like things yeah. and uh, as I said earlier the amount of time you're on the grass your personality and your culture coaching that will come through you know, that will eventually come through. You can't force it, you can't rush it. I understand what, what you're talking about, that you gotta make a personality, but I think if you're on the grass and you're dealing with kids long enough, that will come out. Yeah, that absolutely. Will come I, mean, out quickly. I, mean, yeah, I mean, that evolves, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I think it's, you know, if you haven't got that, you're gonna struggle. Well, you see it on your, you see it on your licenses. You know, you see these top, top coaches on your licenses and when it's their turn to coach, it's, you don't hear them, you, you kind of just, they blend into the background. And if you're blending into the background, you've got no chance. Mm. You may know everything. You may be a really, really good coach, but if you can't spark the player's interest immediately and keep that interest for the next 90 minutes or whatever it is, it's a losing battle. It really is. It's a losing battle. So um, I would say my, my coaching would be quite firm, quite you know, let's 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 be really proactive. Get it done. Get make it really dynamic. But you know, that's come from me seeing the the success of it, uh, and that's taken a long time. I suppose as well, it can be. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean you know your 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 what you're saying. But I suppose it's how you structure your session as well, isn't it? Because that's the personality as well. It's a dynamic session in terms yeah. of like you're revolving it. You constantly change it. It's not that. It's not static. The players aren't getting bored. Yeah, and. Going out and watching coaches is, is really important to see um, what, what, you think you, what you think you look like. Uh, if you're watching some coach and it's really, really dynamic session, loads of energy, you might think, oh, that's what my sessions are like. Um, but when you look back on yourself and you watch a video of yourself, then that's when you really get to see what you are as a coach. Or when you get feedback from players and parents and other coaches, that's when you get to understand mm. just what sort of coach you are. Um, just to touch on that in America, that's, that was one of the really good aspects. You got to see so many different coaches on the grass as well. So I know you were coaching, but you got to see other styles and other coaches that you wanted to be. Maybe you've seen coaches that you didn't want to be. And, and it was just constantly learning, constantly mm -hmm. learning. 
So, so let's move on then, Let's talk about Man United, how that came about and what exactly you were doing there. Yeah, the, the Man United thing was a bit, uh, a bit of a shock. The, I was just back home after, after the US had finished university. Uh, I was working with a local club, Crusaders, just a profession, uh, professional club local to me. And it was difficult. After uni, there was no jobs going. Um, I had an injury, I'd just done my medial ligament, so I couldn't really go to America until I, I thought, right, I'll let this heal. And I was just applying nonstop everywhere. And I just thought, right, I'm just going to send some CVs out to the professional clubs in England as well. Um, got a few responses. Well, most of them just didn't respond. Um, Chelsea responded nicely and said, thanks very much, keep trying. But then Manchester United sent, all right, thanks very much. Would you mind trying for our, our soccer school program? I thought, all right, why not? So I sent that and uh, they, they asked me to go over to Old Trafford um, where they had about 50 coaches. Um, We'd had to do a session. They did a lot of uh, lecturing and talking about what their what their program is. Very professional. I mean, we talked about Hearts earlier. The difference was unbelievable. So tell us about that. What you that know like? you're at Man United. What's, what's, tell us what that. Well, as soon as like you walk practice. in, number one, they're doing interviews in Old Trafford. Yeah. So you're thinking, right, this is this is legit. Um, the professionalism of the presentation. You know, the the history of the club was steeped in absolutely everything they talked about. What they showed you. And you just knew you were in something bigger. Um, so this was an interview for soccer school. This isn't even the academy standard. So I'm thinking this is going to be a gift. The soccer school is just going to be the same as America. Yeah. But the coaches that were there for that job, all A license, B license, you know, top, top academy coaches from all over the UK, all going for this because they know what it would do for their CV. You know, just having that brand on their CV, they knew. Uh, there was a few Hearts coaches as well there. So basically, they did the they did the lectures. Uh, Paul Bright was there, still a guy who I'm in contact with, great lad. And he and a few others brought us over to the Cobham training facility and says, "Okay, lads, you're going to be doing a 15-minute session, and they give you a theme. Uh, my theme was, I think it was change of direction or something like that. So carbon copy to a quarter session. They didn't care what you were producing. It was how you're uh, how your energy, how your, how what we talked about, how you were passionate with the players. You were working with local Manchester kids. They weren't academy boys, um, but they just stopped me within about ten minutes and says, "Thanks very much. We've got a lot to look at. See you later." Didn't really know if that was a good thing, bad thing, or whatever. Wow. I was in full hearts kit and all, full academy kit. You know, just to like, try and get any advantage going. Yeah. Just uh, they brought us all back in the room, in the same Lex room, and says, "Okay, thanks very much, guys." Uh, we're going to call out some names. If your name is called out, just please go into the other room and that will be the end of the session. Uh, my name was called out first and I thought, what's this? So I just walk, pick my stuff up, walk out of the room and I'm sitting in this other room by myself and then a few others start rolling in, rolling in. We didn't know if that was the room that was successful or it wasn't successful. So he, uh, he comes in about five minutes later and says, well done lads, you're all in. Uh, and he comes up to me and says, mate, you, you were in from as soon as you started coaching. So Decent. that was that was a good confidence boost, and I'm going to use that confidence boost again because when you worked at Man United, their coach mentoring system was was outstanding, really class. So I, I mentioned Paul Bright earlier. His job was not the coach; it was just to look after the coaches. You know, so you'd be working the same as you would do in America. You'd be doing six hours from kids all around the world, top players as well. You know, because 
they, 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 they split the groups so you wouldn't have beginners mixed with advanced players. So luckily enough, I had the advanced groups. Um, I assume they just did that through your CV uh, and what your experience was as a coach. So Paul, his job was simply to say, like, how was your session? I watched that session. He gave a constant evaluation. It was just always little comments like, you wouldn't be here if you weren't a good coach. You know, you're here because you're a good coach. Just feeding your, feeding your ego, feeding your confidence consistently. So did they have like a curriculum or was you just free to do what you wanted Apparently to do? they didn't when I, uh, uh, when I had uh, just got the job. And then all of a sudden, oh, by the way, lads, here's a curriculum. And a lot of the coaches didn't like it because they'd so, been So what there. was that like, in terms of like, it was set what to do sessions or topics yeah, or what? Yeah, oh, it was real, like, copy detail. this session. Okay. You know, this is, so it was a very well presented book, leather backed, you know, again, no expense spared. And every coach had this copy of the, the coaching manual as they called it. And I, I, I didn't really like it, but then I took the positives from it. It was just free coaching sessions. Yeah. You, know, you, you could take from it what you want. And some of the sessions actually I still, I still use. Some of the drills were very good. Uh, other ones, you just felt you were pigeonholed a bit. And there was no really expression of what you could do as a, as a coach, but then you just had to rely on your, as I said earlier, the, your energy and, and what you did with the players themselves. But basic sessions, dribbling session, passing session, they, they were working heavily with the Nike Spark uh, equipment, which had just come out then, which was all the SAQ equipment. So they had us using all of that. And yeah, again, they were, they were very, very good sessions, all based around their 3v3 uh, methodology as well. So you'd do a passing session and then it would be 3v3, a different progression, 3v3. So it would always keep that small side of game aspect throughout the full 90 minute session. Uh, and then they did many World Cups, competitions, they kept mm. it fun for the players. Um, but overall, very, very good experience and, and one that I would do again. The reason I stopped doing it is because they, they limited coaches hours. Uh, when I worked there, I was full time. You know, so myself and a few other lads we were there seven days a week. You know, seven days a week we were we were coaching. You got one day off on the on the Saturday, I think it was, or the Sunday it was, whatever it was. But you couldn't go anywhere because I lived in Belfast. I wasn't going to fly home, so I, I stayed on site uh, with a few other lads from Scotland and stuff. So it was it was fully intense. This is your job, live, breathe, and uh, mm. whatever it is, Manchester United. You were everything about my United. And as a Liverpool fan, it was hard to do, but. Mm. <laughs> um, an experience I would promote, an experience I would say, if anybody had the opportunity to do it, go for it. Um, what were your main takeaways from that, working for that organisation? The, the professionalism before you're even on the pitch. You know, so before you weren't on the pitch, you were having coaches meetings. You know, it was a meeting about a meeting a lot of times, but they just knew that they didn't want anything to go wrong. Everything was planned to precision. And that's why they made the curriculum. Uh, we're not stupid here. We know that we can't have one coach doing an outstanding session for these kids. And then on another pitch, you've got a kid getting bog standard sessions from another coach. So they can't risk that. I understand it. So that's why the curriculum was used. Um, but again, that just that goes back into their professionalism and how precise they were with, they knew what their product wanted to be and they knew how to do it. And it's just experience of, of, of doing that, that they've been doing it for years and years and years. So. I just took everything from that um, as what Paul was doing to help coaches, what the club did to help um, teach the coaches before they were even on the pitch, you know, providing curriculums or providing 
uh, documents that were all sent out via email. And I just thought it was as close to an academy system. It was more professional than what Hearts were, to be honest. Mm. So, and that's, that tells you a lot. I'm sure Hearts are not that anymore because the game's changed dramatically in Scotland. And I know that for a fact, actually, because I still know the Hearts coaches, but that was an, a real eye-opener. It was the most professional setup I've ever been involved in. So then let's talk about um, Bangkok. So you've yeah. had enough of sunny Manchester. How did that come about? Yeah, the, uh, the Manchester the contract was, was going to be limited. Um, simply you couldn't live on it. And I figured, right, something's got to change here. So the CVs went back out, send them all. I actually targeted America a lot. Uh, a lot of, had a lot of boys in the New York Red Bulls, but they were also telling me it's a 10 month contract, mate. You know, you're going to struggle for two months. So I thought, right, mm. I'll just, I'll pepper everywhere. I'll just send them out. I'd been to Thailand before, just as a holiday. And then, like yourself, you see it's football crazy. You know, there's football shirts, there's football pitches. And it's just something I never even thought of, you know, that, that, that they're that crazy on football. So I um, started researching soccer schools, clubs, professional clubs, whatever it was. And I just sent them all a CV. Got um, a response back from a soccer school saying, all right, we, we, we know you've got a lot of experience doing camps. Um, would you mind coming doing, you know, six weeks of, of summer camp? I said, all right, why not? I've got nothing to lose. I'll go over there. He says, look, there's potential for full-time work after it. I says, don't worry, mate, I'm, I'm coming over anyway. So I did that, and oh, from Manchester United to, <laughs> to I, the I, professionalism. I, uh, yeah, because I, 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 I uh, was there as well for a brief stint. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's how we met, so yeah. That's quite a, yeah, I can tell you the contrast of... Uh, yeah, so that was a real eye-opener, and it was, it was very demotivating. And it was nothing to do with... Nothing to do with the soccer school itself. It's a difficult country. Very, very difficult country. I mean, seven years doesn't sound that long, but how far football has come here is, is unbelievable in what's happened in the last seven years. But to go back, I arrived here. You had nothing. You know, I had literally nothing. I had my bag and my boots. You know, real, enough money to last me, and then I was just getting my salary, which was minimal. But as I said, I just had to work. I just had to get out there and start working. So... It was, it was very difficult. It was back to the American system where you would have real beginners with some decent kids. You know, they weren't wearing shin guards. Balls were flat. People would show up 25 minutes late. It was just standards that I just wasn't used to and standards that I refused to lower myself to. So I kept my sessions as, as good and as professional as possible. Um, I thought, right, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. I'll, I'll smash it out because I've got nothing else. And I'm here now, so I'll make the most of it. Um, there were some great players. I worked with a couple of Thailand national players, and they were mixed in with beginners. So it was a real, real challenge trying to work with that under 12 group. Uh, I grew the group. I mean, at the end of the day, it's pay to play over here. It's the same in America. If you want to play football, you pay a membership fee. So that's what covered the coaches' salaries. So my job was to recruit, get in more players, and then obviously put on the best possible sessions that I can. So then tell us about FC Bangkok. This is your club where you are now. The, uh, yeah, the, that, that really started from me doing everything right on the pitch. You know, my sessions were coming back from the academy, coming back from my United. They were that standard. And that had never been seen here before. Well, that, in my opinion, yeah. that had never been seen here before. So people started to notice. And then I started getting a few parents saying like, you know, 
you should do your own thing here, you know, start putting ideas in my head and it's something I never really thought of. Um, but then at, at the end of the year, at the end of a full year working with the soccer school, I realised that there was no future in it. I need to make a decision. And then a couple of parents were basically saying, look, we'll back you. Um, it was a tough decision, you know, because obviously I was going to have to then, you know, turn my back on the guy who, who helped me, which end of the day, I didn't do it as a personal thing. It was a professional thing. I had to look after myself uh, and I, I, I made the jump, um, set up my own school. Uh, we called it initially Bangkok City um, and we changed it just just for a few other reasons. FC Bangkok just worked. I think a lot of it was to do with the website. You know, things like that, which I hadn't even thought of before. So yeah. FC Bangkok was available and we thought, right, let's do FC Bangkok. And it started with me, 10 kids in a room who I'd been working with previously, a lot of Thai players. And it's grown now to, I think it's about 200 players at the minute from under six to under 18. Wow. But that's a very, very quick description of where we've been, but I can tell you it was hard work, a lot of hard work. So let's just talk about that then, the initial you know, um, struggles, if you like, because obviously look, you're, you're fortunate now, you've, you've created your own full-time opportunity in football yeah. here in this amazing country. Uh, a lot of people aspire to that. So let's talk about this. What are the initial struggles about starting up your own well, Bangkok's, business stroke club? Bangkok's the Wild West. You know, it's, it's, everybody's out for themselves. There's no real governing body that's overseeing football here. You know, so every soccer school here, every football club, they're trying to survive on their own. You know, so that would mean they'd have to develop their own leagues. They'd have to develop their own curriculums, their own tournaments. Um, because, as I said, the, the governing bodies, certainly back then, they, they focused on first team and they focused on, on, on Thai Premier League. And it's purely uh, a financial thing, I'm sure. So it was difficult, you know, because the kids want to play, but you would have to do friendly games. And I'm not a Thai speaker, so trying to arrange games. I mean, we would do it back home quite easily. You get on the phone, you get on WhatsApp, say, all right, mate, fancy a friendly game. We'll be there six o'clock. You can't do that here. You know, you're trying to deal with teams. You so there's no like grassroots leagues? Or there's no like grassroots that. leagues. There was nothing, literally nothing. Um, they had what was called the schools leagues. You know, the schools leagues, that's about it. The schools control a lot of the football over here. Because if you're a very good player, they would take you in on scholarship and they'd give you free education. So the schools have a majority of the top, top players, but they looked after themselves. You know, the schools would play each other, you know, external clubs, private clubs. They just had to, again, they had to go out and try and do it themselves. So the, the difficulties for me were, number one, I would have to do multiple age groups because it was me on my own. You know, so a lot of people had heard about, you know, we've got a coach here who's very good. I want to work with them. But then I would have a six-year-old, an eight-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old. So I was trying to balance that and get them on the pitch to make them you know, as good as they could be, but make it age, age pure and age specific for them. So I had to mix up the week and then obviously getting games was impossible because it didn't have the same age group. So you can't have 14. So the games were out of the picture. Um, but then we kept growing and getting more and more kids um, just purely through reputation. Yeah, working seven days a week on the pitch, just coaching, marketing, doing everything myself. Um, it was tough and there was no money in it. Like, I was earning nothing, like literally nothing for the first six months. So it was just living off savings. Um, but it was, it was tough. 
making making decisions that were potentially going to be the wrong ones because I didn't have any guidance. Um, it was a lot of trial and error. Um, and eventually I had to get to a stage where I brought someone else in uh, to help me. You know, it would allow us to do separate age groups. It would allow me to get uh, a bit of back and forth in regards to the ideas. So I talked to a lad who was working with in America, Nick, who became available after about a year I'd been doing it. Uh, at this stage, we were about 40 kids in a small room, futsal room. He came in, we were able to segregate and separate the ages, say, right, you'll do you know, nines and tens, I'll work with these 12s and 13s. At that stage, we could start getting teams together. We started contacting other expat clubs for friendly matches. But that even that wasn't possible because they seen me as a bit of a as a rebel. You know, I've 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 went off on my own. So they tried to keep us out, yeah. keep us out of the picture, and not help us. Um, so we we played against Thai teams. We travelled one hour, two hours to try and play a game um, on you know potato fields. It was ridiculous. It was really it was tough. When you look back on it, it was I don't know how we got here uh, mm. from from where we where we came from, but. The reality of it is it all came from the training. You know, we came from quality training at the start, which got us to quality training now, which continues to get us players. Now we've got tournaments and stuff that are quite helpful, but it's still the training that, that brings the kids in. Um, so then tell us a little bit about, because the leagues, because obviously now you started, you, you, there's no leagues here, so you took it in your own hands and started your own leagues. Yeah, that, once we got to a stage that we had to offer these kids something. You know, if doing friendlies turned into a nightmare, you know, because the team would, would cancel on you uh, without notice, um, or they'd show up an hour late, or they'd show up on the wrong pitch. So we, we, we just looked bad then. You know, as parents, they just looked at us. Well, you organised it. Why is this happening? And we says, well, you know, we, we did everything right, but the, the team's not here. So they don't want to hear that. So we sat down and we thought, right, we, need, we just need to fix this. We need to do it ourselves. So we did our own league. Um, again, we pay for it all, whatever the kids paid, which should be going to our salaries, we just said, right, no increases, no salaries, let's just put it all into our own league. We invited Thai teams saying that you don't have to pay anything. Um, so we rented out fields uh, under the roof, you know, 4G fields. The facilities are outstanding, I have to say that if you've never been over here, the, uh, the facilities are academy standard. Um, they're all seven-a-side based because 11-a-side fields just take up too much space. Uh, and obviously condos and the like would be priority. But we rented the fields, we organised eight teams per league uh, in every age group. We paid for it all uh, and we just were on the phone non-stop just to try and get these Thai teams to commit and understand what commitment is. Um, which was difficult because they'd normally play for money. Um, that was a shock to me. They, that was the first question they asked us. Okay, so what's the price? He says, what do you mean what's the price? You, hmm. It's under nine football. And like, yeah, but what do you win? I say, okay. Uh, and then I understood that the way ties do it is they would go to a tournament and they'd play for 50,000 baht. They'd play for 10,000, 100,000 baht. And, then, and that, the coach would get that, right? <sighs> Again, I, I, I'm not going to say that, but I've heard that. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it's, it's not right, in my opinion. And that's my opinion. In my opinion, it shouldn't be a price because from what I've seen firsthand. It's certainly not a cash prize. <laughs> a cash prize, literally the kids standing there with a big check. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, you got this coach walking away who's literally went out and brought the best players he could find 
you know, from, from all these scholarship schools. He says, can I borrow this boy and this boy and this boy for a weekend tournament, show up, put them in uniforms, and these kids are outstanding, you know, because they're playing seven days a week, yeah. and this coach will walk away with 30 grand or whatever it is in his pocket. Now, whether he shares that with the kids, I don't know, but that's not for me to say. Anyway, we, we just say, look, lads, there's no prizes. Catch yourself on. This is youth football. We're going to try and change the, the, the opinion and the view of what youth football is here, um, which was tough. You know, as soon as we said there was no cash prizes, a lot of teams just said, nope, see you later. So we had to just take whoever would, would come. And the first few years, the teams potentially weren't as good as what we wanted them to be. But every year it got stronger. They recognized that the fields were outstanding. The organization, the timing, everything was perfect. You know, it was well run. You know, and that's, that's what it came down to. You, you provide a product that's good and people will come back to it. And the ties then started to talk to each other and they were consistent and credit to them. You know, so the leagues now working every single week are, are packed. You know, we've got waiting lists for these, these clubs who want to come down and play and, for and us. And a lot of the uh, pro club academy teams play as well, don't they? Yeah, exactly. Because like I said, for the juniors, for the, for the 9s, 10s, 11s and 12s, the, there's no league still to this day. From the, from the Thailand uh, Football Association. They attempted one last year, but I think it was helped mostly from a private, a private club that really did it. So anyway, like I said, the, the, there's nothing on offer other than these cash prizes, tournaments, which still happen. So the pro clubs were thinking, all right, same venue, good teams. They get to play against the expats, so it's a different, different style of football, different coaching t- uh, tactics, potentially. So they see it as a learning curve. Um, so they started to get involved and they were good. They were really good. And it just helped us as a, as a, as a development football club to show our boys, to show our parents, you know, this is the standard. You know, this is what you would call a pro youth player. You know, so a lot of parents are all around the world think their kids are a certain standard. It's not until they see what these kids can be like that, oh, that's a, that's a wake up call for me. So yeah, still to this day, we do a nice balance we do a balance of professional clubs. We also invite the, the high-profile scholarship schools, and we obviously have development boys clubs plus expat clubs. So it's a good mix. It's a good balance. Um, you're not having teams that are getting complete walkovers, and you're not getting uh, too easy or too difficult to ride. So and so, so your main player recruitment base is expats, is it? We we thought that, we thought that. Um, but when you look at our books, we're actually majority Thai. Okay. Um, again, I'm not, I'm not one to, to say how the standard is of Thai coaches, but I know that the AFC, their, their, their governing body for coaching licenses, has only really stepped up the, the gear in the last one, two, three years. So the coaching opportunities for Thai coaches here was limited. Um, and education's everything, absolutely everything. So if the co- teacher doesn't know it, then the kids aren't going to know it. Mm. And the kids over here, despite being very, very good players, weren't getting certainly what they would get caught in, in Europe. That's, that's, that's for sure. So obviously, as soon as the Thai kids heard that there was European standard coaching on offer, you know, they started to have a look. And then they thought, wow, this is night and day different from what I'm getting at my school or what I'm getting at my local club. So we started to get a lot of Thais knocking and asking, can we join? So we thought, yep, no problem, but we're going to coach in English, thinking that, we, that would have been... Uh, a bad thing and they would have walked away it was the opposite you know they want to learn English they thought brilliant we don't want you to teach them in Thai you know I noticed that obviously I've been on this journey with you since you set up FC Bangkok so we've known each other and I've 
come out a few times is that I think that what you said earlier is about those standards which you have. So when I watched your session the other night, which was a great, have a great session, the parents on the sidelines saying, oh, we love Andy, we love what he brings, we love the sessions. And I think it's that attention to detail, that quality, that academy standard, as you call it, yeah. that maybe they're not, but they don't get normal, you know, in those other areas. Yeah, I'll go back to that word of passion. You know, like the Hearts boys, you know, who are doing it for, they're not doing it for money, yeah. you know. And if you don't have that obsession, passion, then you're just going through the motions. Uh, you can put on a session, but it's just, it's just another session that anybody can do. But I think I get a lot of credit and a lot of feedback, as you've just said, because every session that I'm doing or every league that I'm helping organize or whatever event I do, I try to do it to the absolute best of my ability. Um, and I know that's cheesy or whatever it is, but it is, it's just the way it is. I, uh, I, I put everything into it. I'm obsessed by it and it's, it's got, to me, got me where I am today, so I'm not gonna change that. I almost overworked myself, put myself in trouble, um, certainly with a girlfriend as well, um, because you're constantly, constantly football. You're always thinking. Uh, even when you get home after work, you're still planning the next thing. Mm. And with I suppose that's the struggle, isn't it? Because not only are you a football coach, but you're a small business owner, well, yeah. quite a big, bigger yeah. business. So you have to juggle, wear all those different hats. Yeah, exactly, What's mate. That like? Yeah, that, that's without doubt. And hopefully in the next few years, I've set myself the challenge of, of stabilizing the club, that it's not one or two people that are just controlling it. It's, it's able to function by itself. You know, as you said, I'm doing coaching and managing and director of coaching. It doesn't matter what you call me. You know, I'm, I'm doing loads of different little bits and pieces. So, um, but coaching's, coaching's why I do it. Like, so I'm taking seven teams this year seven teams as well as running the actual academy mm. so it's it's too much but it's it's if you're working full-time in football you're lucky and yeah. uh it's a blessing so i'm not gonna take it for granted it could stop at any time there's a lot of big names coming over here now uh psg have opened up chelsea are opened up um arsenal have been here for years but a lot of people are recognizing the opportunity and the, the potential mm. of Obviously, they're looking for money. I mean, those, those are soccer schools. They're looking for money. But once those big names come in, the, how, how Thailand football is going to look for... Certainly, when I come in, it's going to be totally different. It's going to be completely different in the next five years. And so let's talk a little bit about just you as a person, you know, Belfast boy. Uh, what's it, what was it like living in Thailand, trying to live a coach out here, to try and start a business? What's it mean culturally? What are the challenges? Yeah, number one, language, obviously. Um, it's so foreign. It's, it's, everything here is just different to what you've been brought up with. Uh, as you said, Belfast is a very small, uh, it's very small still to this day. Every time I go back, it doesn't seem to change. And you know, I love it, but it opens your eyes when you come into a big metropolitan city like this. You know, this place has changed. It's, it's like New York, whenever I went to New York, it's everywhere you go, it's just busy, non-stop. It's overwhelming, overwhelming. It's scary, in fact. It takes you six months of hating it, and you're scared, and you think, what have I done? And then after that, you start to get accustomed to it. You start to get used to the taxi man and not knowing where to go and not knowing what to eat and not knowing anything. Uh, and as I said, after six months, you start finding your feet. 
and you find a confidence in yourself that you never really had before. Uh, you're in, you're in, as I said earlier, you're in the Wild West here. You know, everything that could go wrong will go wrong here. And you learn from that. Um, a lot of people can't do it. You've got to be very, very good at being on your own. You know, you've a lot of loneliness, certainly in the early stages. Um, you don't have your mates just to go for a pint with. Um, you've just got to knuckle down and get things done. And that's why I think the obsession of football came in. It, it was able to distract me. You know, so you're able to do seven days a week non-stop just to get you through the week. And then obviously as the coaching team grew, then you start to get you know, allies and friends and then you start to get really enjoyment of being here. You play a little bit of football here and there just to meet more expats and that's when you start to feel as it's your home. Um, but yes, yeah, certainly at the start it's difficult. And it will be difficult for anyone, even as somebody that moves over today, it will be difficult. Um, it's something that they just won't have experienced before if they've just been brought up in the UK. I mean, I've, I've been lucky to come out here quite regularly, working with you and some other people as well, is that, what about just, you know, the environmental conditions itself, the heat and the, you know, the yeah. humidity, what's that like in terms of, what effect does that have on your sessions? You've definitely got to take it into consideration that the heat's one thing, so at the hot season you're hitting 40 degrees and, you know, I was doing six hours on the field that's in 40 degrees heat, so obviously that's dangerous. <laughs> number one mm. for yourself but for the players you can't with this British mentality you know like playing like or train like you play it's not realistic mm. you can do it but don't expect the kids or the players to be doing it even if they're under 18 to be doing it for 90 minutes you've got no chance so you've got to tailor your session to obviously allow for the factors if it's really warm um, whether that means you've got to change the time and we try to do 5 p.m. sessions, which is a little bit cooler. And when I say cooler, it's still 33 degrees. Yeah. You know, so there's no such thing as a cool day. Um, it's, it's, you just have to adapt. A lot of people can't do it. You know, a lot of people just, it's not for them. And a few players have just said, sorry, I just can't deal with the conditions. And they recognize that. Coaches recognize, look, I can't do it. Yeah. And the quicker you realize that, the better. You know, because there's no real betting in period for it because... If you can't handle this weather, you can't live here. You just can't live here. Um, the players have been brilliant. You know, they, even the expats who have come here from England or wherever they come from, give them two weeks. They, you know, they always talk, talk about it. Oh, it's too hot, I can't breathe. Two weeks, they're in it. They're involved. And it's, it's, you know, the body does amazing things and, and just adapts. Mm. So as soon as I recognize that, then you can start to bring the more intensity into the sessions. But like right now, we're in pre-season. So I can see players who have just moved to Thailand and you just got to go a little bit easier on them. You just got to tailor them and just put, pat, pat them on the back saying, don't worry, you know, your body will acclimatize to it. Um, but that's it. You know, there's no easy answer for it. There's no easy answer for it. The tournaments are played here. It's quite funny, actually. The, the adults here, the pro teams will train only 4 p.m. onwards. They make the kids play in the daytime. So the kids are playing at 9, 10, 11, midday. 40 degrees heat under the blazing sun so that the adults can use the pits in the nighttime because they don't want to do it because it's too hot. So that's, again, it's, it's dangerous. It's absolutely dangerous. You'd never get away with it in the UK. And there's a lot of things like that over here that you wouldn't get away with. But as I said earlier, it's the Wild West. You can try and make things better. You're never going to change at all. You can try and influence. Um, but to answer your question, it's just you, you have to adapt.
you have to adapt uh, with the climate. And what about your own development that you're far from home? I mean, I know you're an A licence coach, you did the recently your A4A licence. Yeah. Uh, what was that like in terms of trying to organise that living here and also then in terms of what effect has that had on you as a coach? Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, if you're not growing as a coach, then you'll eventually just start going backwards or you'll start repeating the same old sessions. So I made a, a priority of mine to go back every year uh, at least once. And lucky enough, the IFA um, has come on leaps and bounds in the last 10 years. Like certainly when I grew up, this was not an option. Um, but now they've got one of the best coach education platforms in Europe. And they're one of the only ones that does intense courses over one week period. Um, and I mean intense. Like, as you know, in England, if you're trying to do your A license, your B license, they stagger it over a year. It's the same in Scotland. I did my licenses in Scotland while I was at Hearts and they stagger it a weekend here, a weekend here, and a weekend here. Now that's obviously impossible for me. So as soon as the IFA advertised that they were doing week-long courses, it was, it was perfect, absolutely perfect. So I was able to tailor a holiday to see family, but also turn it into a coaching education event. So as I said, every year I started doing, they opened up an elite uh, youth license. So I did that one first, just to test the water. Went back, was, I was expecting low standards, to be honest. Um, and I was really, really proven wrong, which I couldn't have been happier about. The coaching staff, uh, a guy called Pascal was just sheer class, you know, a top, top coach. Doesn't um, sound like he's from Belfast. No, nah, he's Pascal. not. But he, <laughs> Pascal's from France. He's actually in Vietnam at the minute. He's just moved over, but he was working as the elite performance coach in the IFA. Yeah. Um, top, top coach. And you know, it's like, we, we talked about it as, as players. Players can take off and take energy from from coaches, it's the same as coaches. Coaches can take energy off other coaches and they, they just listen to them. And they're like, I was like a sponge uh, with that guy. So that was my first introduction to the IFA. Did that A license, or sorry, the, the elite uh, youth license. Brilliant, learned a lot. And I thought, right, I'm doing this every year. Um, I had to renew my B. So I thought, right, I'll just, I'll, I'll go back and do another one, we'll do my B. They called it the B2. I'd, all I had to do was the B2 just to do, as a refresher uh, every three years. And then I started my two-year campaign on the A license. So you went back and it was a week solid, but you were working with all the pros, you know, so Wes Brown and uh, a few other top, top, you know, world-class players with CVs that are, you know, the length of your arm are, are playing football with you, you know, mm. shoulder to shoulder with you. Um, you're able to chat with them on a daily basis just about how life is at the, at the top end of the game. So even though the, the coaching itself was, was you know, outstanding, you learn as much, if not more, just talking to these guys uh, on a daily basis. And it's often, I, as soon as I finished my A license, I was, I was gutted and I said to them, look, I'll come back and help you out as staff, you know, because I, I, I want to continue my learning process. And as I said, just rubbing shoulders and chatting with the lads for a week, it's like you're filling a book with, uh, with more knowledge, with more ideas, and it just, it comes, it makes you come back here motivated, driven, um, this, was, this is my first say, year, I didn't. I mean, that, that's, I was going to say, because that's what I've found as well. When you, I mean, now it must be difficult because if you're not surrounded by other coaches and also more senior coaches, uh, you know, in terms of being yeah. able to see people coaching, get new ideas and really get that creative juices flowing, you can, like you say, you become stagnant, a, yeah. a bit stale. So, I mean, I, I suppose that's the challenge, isn't it, being over here, somewhere like that. How do you keep fresh? How do you keep your ideas flowing and coming in? Yeah, people, people make excuses. It's as simple as that. Myself included, I found myself doing it. 
I, you know, I, I can I can say it's difficult in Thailand. It's difficult in Thailand. I can't. There's no coaches here. Um, you know, in, in my club, I've got a licensed coaches that I can learn from. Um, there's obviously top professional academies here, and there's also uh, the Thailand national team set up. I've got some outstanding coaches who speak English. So there's always ways you can do it. It's like, I th like I said, people just make excuses. And you know, while I'm in Thailand, I'll go and watch the Thailand national team. Uh, I'm good friends with the guys and I'll go and watch their sessions as they prepare, for example, the under 15s for a campaign. And I'll go up and stay with them for three, four days as they do two sessions per day. I'll watch their classroom sessions. And they're more than happy like any other good coach would be. Any other good coach would be more than welcoming to say, yes, mate, no problem. Uh, come on and have a watch. We'll have a chat because mm -hmm. people like talking football. Um, they know why you're there. They, you're not there to, uh, to be a threat. You're there for self for self-learning. That's it. Uh, and if anybody wanted to come and watch my sessions, I would uh, say the exact same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Not a problem. Um, and, and most of the coaches that I've, I've came across here, Gary Stevens, one, uh, another uh, top coach who's working pro here. We just sit and have a coffee and talk football for two hours. So there's always ways you can keep yourself motivated, keep yourself hungry. Because um, I think that's just as, just as powerful, isn't it? You can watch people coach, but just having to sit down and chat with somebody yeah. is really powerful, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. but you have to do it. It's too easy to say, ah, nah, there's, there's no one here. There is. It may mean you've got to no one travel a little bit. Mm. Uh, myself and Gary, for example, Gary's a pro-licensed coach with a CV that's you know, something that I'll never aspire to in yeah. terms of playing. Um, and have a chat with him. I says, what are you doing, Gary? And he says, nothing. Do you want to go up and watch Bangkok United session? He says, yeah, no problem. He's retired. He's got no reason to do this. Yeah. He says, yeah. Uh, so each, we jump in a taxi, two hours, we travel just to watch someone else's session. Uh, and the guy, Mano, was you know, welcoming us with open arms and we sat and watched his preparation for his league game on Saturday. You know, so as I said, there's, there's ways and, and, and means you can go about to, to always learn if you can't do coach educations such as UEFA A, UEFA B, yeah. which, which you have to do. I mean, they're just your driver's license. You've got to do it. You just have to do it. But it doesn't stop there. You know, you've, you've got to go about and, and talk to people and, and watch things. People who you respect, people who you actually see yourself in a bit. Um, maybe their sessions are quite similar to yours and you think, yeah, I'm learning here. And, so, um, and what about yourself then? What's, what are your own ambitions in the game? Yeah, I've been a little bit lost in that in the last two years, to be honest. Um, as I say, I, I have to keep growing. If I feel that I'm going at the same level, I, I freak out a little bit. Um, it's probably a bad thing, but I see it as a good one. So the club was doing well. The club's very, very stable. You know, we're at capacity, at under six all the way to under 18. Um, I can't do any more at the club in regards to coaching. Um, development football is brilliant. I think I've got a, a, a good talent for it. I could always make our club better, but where does it go? Uh, in my opinion, I have to just make the club secure. So I've got to bring in more experienced staff, more backroom staff, so that eventually if I ever do walk away, this club will forever continue and it won't just fall and crumble, which would be you know, devastating, obviously, with the amount of work I've put in. Obviously, it's my little baby, etc. So uh, that's my first priority, you know, with my sensible head on. I have to make sure that this continues and this will forever be a good development tool and have a reputation of being the best if 
you want to call it, grassroots program in Bangkok, in Thailand, which is what we set it out to be. But for personal, for selfish reasons, you know, I, I want to get into the pro game again. I want to get into whether it's Thai Premier League, um, which I've started to make a few strides. Uh, I've chatted with a few good guys, uh, English coaches up at Montong United, who uh, gratefully he, he invited me to work with the Montong United B team last year, um, which is basically they're on their 23s. They call it the B team. Um, so that was brilliant just to get up. I did it for free. I just went up and says, look, mate, no problem. I'll come up and just work with our lads. And it was just good, good change of speed, good change of uh, attitude. Obviously, these guys are paid pros. Um, and it was just good to get the foot in the door. So I've got a good relationship now with him, Daz, good guy. He's, and it, we, we go back and forward, we go on the phone with each other because he's got a, as just a difficult job as I do. You know, we're dealing with countless players, countless coaches. So we're in the same position, only his is the professional game and mine's the grassroots games, but the, the similarities are there. Mm. Um, but yeah, if, if the opportunities comes up, I reckon I would take it. I would say, yeah, I'd give that a go. I would certainly not be afraid to jump in and say, right, I'll take a first team. Um, I see myself as a field coach, number one. Uh, I'm confident on the field and I definitely need to learn things such as the managerial style, the, uh, the off the field things, keeping the books right, the salaries. So that's all stuff that you just got to do it. And the only way you're going to learn it is by doing it. So if the opportunity comes up, that's certainly something I'll do for my own self growth. It's essential. It's essential. If I want to call myself a coach, I've got to at least say I've experienced this, uh, the first team standard. And then what, is, what advice would you give to a young aspiring coach who wants to work full time in football, travel around the world like you do, you have? Language. Honestly, I would say that's number one. Um, everyone, uh, there's so many good coaches out there. There really is. There's some top, top coaches, but they're all just, they're looking like, they're looking the same now, you know, the, the difference is if you've got language, you've got such an advantage. It's an unbelievable advantage. And I've been lazy with it. I tried to do Thai lessons last year, but it is hard. It is so difficult. Um, and because I'm so busy, I'm constantly thinking about the work rather than focusing on what the pronunciation is of this word. So it, it, was, it was a losing battle. But I, I would honestly say to boys, if you've got an opportunity to learn a language, it's going to help you so much um, obviously Thai is only going to help you in Thailand but you know, to learn Spanish is going to open up so many doors yeah. um, that, that we know that in the UK that to get a full time job that's going to keep you happy in terms of salary it's like winning the lottery at the minute it's very very difficult but if you can go and explore Europe if you can go and explore you know, South America even in America obviously with the Spanish yeah. you're going to get work you will get work, that's a guarantee, because you've got that language and it puts you a step ahead of every other coach who only speaks English. Because mm. you know, we've got an arrogance, don't we? We've got an arrogance that everybody should speak English. But it holds us back, it's a mistake. It's a mistake, even if a player is, uh, is, is looking to go further in the game, learn a language, go and explore Europe a wee bit. But yeah, that would be my number one at the minute. I would say, get your, get your language and then explore different avenues you know, we've got a coach in our t uh, coaching staff who speaks five languages. Yeah, what an advantage he's got. You know, he's got kids coming in who are French, who are Spanish, and he's chatting away to them. And I'm thinking, wow, what an advantage that is. Um, said, let's just say you take a first team. I go back to the guy at Bangkok United. He's doing his team talk, 
and he's got a Thai, uh, a Thai translator, which is essential over here, you know, but his, his team isn't all Thai. You know, he's got Brazilian lads, he's got German lads, he's got, uh, you name it, he's got a multicultural team. Mm. And he's sitting there personally talking in Spanish, talking in English, talking Portuguese, and then the Thai guy will talk. He's got control of that group. Number one, he's got control and respect, you know, because he's able to speak to them as a person. You know, that's, that's definitely my biggest downfall over here, that I can show them on the pitch through demonstration, I can show them through video, that would be my second thing, by the way. Start using video. Start using uh, digital tools, but I'll get onto that in a second. But because I don't speak Thai, I can't get the psychological, I can't get the real in-depth meaning of why I want them to do something. And yeah. as we get into the tactical game, it's essential. You can't just show them on the board. You can, but you only give them 50%. And that's, that's something that it, it bothers me um, because I know it'll be eventually be why I don't get a job or why I don't get to the level I want to get to mm. because of something as simple as learning a language. So that language number one and then number two, ec explore different methods of teaching. Um, are you using an iPad? Are you doing video analysis for each individual player? Um, because you know, with, with this generation of kids, you can't just tell them, you know, because that's just your opinion. You know, that's what they look at it. You know, they've got so much information on the touch of their fingertips that you might say, I, I want you to do this because of this reason. They'll say, well, I heard this pro saying on YouTube, it's a different reason. So that's your opinion. That's his opinion. Who am I going to listen to? Yeah. You know, so you're, you're up against it already um, because they've got so much information right there. But if you have a video of what you're trying to show them, if you show them do that same action, Video analysis is absolutely essential. And I don't just mean team, which is obviously the common one, tacticals. But if you've got one-on-one -on -one coaches like ourselves, videoing the kid, showing him where he's going wrong physically or mm. whatever, he, whatever he's doing, uh, or if it's weaker foot, whether it's, whatever it is, if you show them it, they take it in. They take it in much, much faster. And that's something I've learned, that uh, if you don't show video, you're only doing 50% of the job and you're going to make your life harder. You'll get more success and you'll get them a, a better standard quicker if you show them it and not just show them on the pitch and then explain what you think your opinion is. Back yourself up, make yourself as consistent as possible. And then the more videos you have, you'll have a, a good library and you can always go back to it and say, right, look at this player doing it. He's only been doing this for one week. This is where you could be in eight weeks. So I would say that, yeah open up more digital tools um, Perfect. and your language. Andy, thanks very much. Been fantastic. Cheers, Saul. Enjoy your last night in Bangkok. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's dynamic ball mastery program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.